everyone. Welcome back to the Liberal Arts Endeavor, a podcast by Michigan State University's College of Arts and Letters. As you may remember, I'm Hannah, one of your co-hosts and an intern at the college. Today, I'm back with my co-host, Dean Chris Long. Hey, Hannah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Well, hanging in there. We've yeah. had quite a lot happen here at the university since our last podcast. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I, I've been, you know, I think we're doing, we're all doing a little bit of um, critical self-reflection and looking inward and kind of taking some time to think about what what all this um, is. And I I wanted to say how how much I appreciated your work and the work of the Cal interns uh, over the past couple weeks. You really helped me, um, you know, think reflectively about how to um, put words to a situation that is really difficult to kind of try to find words for. Well, no, thank you for just being... uh, the type of leader that I think all students and faculty and staff really need right now. And I think everyone in the office, we all talked about how important it was that you come in and you respect our feedback and you listen to us. And I think there needs to be more of that going on around campus. And I'm really glad that I get to experience that, though, here at the college. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. Well, we're really excited to have uh, this podcast. I got um, two of my favorite people here on the podcast, so this is going to be great. Yay! So... uh, in our second, or no, third episode of the semester, we're sitting down with Candace Keller, Associate Professor of African Art and Visual Culture in the Department of Art, Art History, and Design to talk about her research in Mali, Africa, called the Archive of Malayan Photography. We also have in the studio Dean Rayberger, Director of Matrix, and also an Associate Professor in the Department of History, who has been a key collaborator and partner with this archive. Excellent. All right, welcome, Candace and Dean. I, I feel like I w- went off script there for a minute. But <laughs> <laughs> well, can you can you guys just introduce yourselves, talk about what you do on campus, what you've been doing for the past couple years? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm Associate Professor of African Art and Visual Culture, and I um, am, uh, well, I teach uh, courses on African art, and I teach in the Global Studies and Arts and Humanities uh, program as well. Awesome. I'm Dean Braverter, and I am the director of Matrix, as you noted, and been working on campus for a long time on digital projects. We have a nice, uh, large digital project with uh, Chris Long on Public Philosophy Journal. Um, we're doing another one on slave data called Enslaved, um, and we do a lot of projects, particularly in West Africa and South Africa. Awesome. So let's talk about um, Candace's big archive, the Malayan Photography Project. That's, that's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, So the Archive of Malian Photography is a project that digitizes, conserves, catalogs, and protects um, over 100,000 negatives currently from five different photographers' archives. Uh, Mamadou Sise, Adama Kuyate, Abdurman Sakali, Emilik Sidibe, and Tijani Shitu. and renders them accessible globally to education and uh, scholarship. Awesome. Um, can you talk about where this project came from and how long you've been working on it? You've been working on it for how many years now? Well, we began in 2009, um, but we started, we, we received funding first from the British Library Endangered Archives Program in 2011, um, and then uh, in 2014, we received funding from the National Endowment for the Humanities Preservation and Access Division. 
So um, I would say that for the past nine years, we've been working on this project, but it stems from research that I've been conducting in Mali on the histories of photographic practice since uh, 2002, so for 15 years. Um, and in working with several photographers and custodians of their archives, which are often family members, so these are private archives, I learned about a few issues that they were most concerned about. One was the uh, physical preservation of the archives themselves, which are vulnerable to harsh climactic conditions. And then also, um, since these archives became popular in international art markets, primarily uh, since the 1990s. Unfortunately, they've been vulnerable to exploitation and theft by unscrupulous uh, dealers, collectors, and scholars. Um, and so they, want to, they wanted to do something that would protect them. But, you know, right now there are some archives that they haven't been able to get back. They've gone overseas. People say that they will borrow them, have an exhibition, invite the family or the photographer to come for the opening, at what point they would return the negatives. But the exhibitions happen. They sell the prints. Uh, sometimes calendars are made, even online right now. They're offered for sale. Um, mm. But the families are never notified. They don't receive any compensation and often they don't receive the negatives back and so they want to stop that practice so that was a concern um, so this is one of the reasons why the negatives that we work with never leave Molly they stay there uh, in the control of the custodians themselves and then the third thing was raising awareness globally about the work of these photographers um, and interjecting them into the larger historical canon of photography globally. Uh, so this was an attempt to address all three of those issues. Um, and I can say that um, the, they never, as I said, the physical archives never leave Mali. The custodians maintain the high-resolution TIFF collections, um, accessible low resolution copies uh, are available online and also uh, at the end of the spring at the Maison Africaine de la Photographie in Bamako. I wonder about that, um, if you both could talk a little bit about kind of the ethical dimensions of doing this kind of cultural work. I know you've both been involved in in this for, for a long time. How do you, how do you think about that as you, um, I mean, w what you just said was a kind of how you put some of your principles of ethically engaging in this work into practice. But but I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that, um, about how you think about that. Yeah, so, I mean, I think ethics have been at the forefront of this project from the beginning, given that it was uh, photographers and custodians that I was talking to who were raising these concerns and then trying to figure out how, through a partnership, we could address it. Um, so I would say listening, <laughs> forming relationships over long periods of time, negotiating. You know, this is a true collaborative partnership so that every step along the way, we're trying to um, negotiate, you know, when you have funders who have certain stipulations and then you have um, individuals who also have these particular concerns, you have to try and figure out how to balance those and how to negotiate so that everyone can feel good about the project. So it's regular communication. Um, and our website includes a lot of the negotiation uh, work that we've done. So we try to make it as transparent mm. as possible so that others can see the, the work that's gone into this. Um, 
Another concern for the young photographers and also the the um, custodians of the archives with this project is that they they wanted to share what we've learned through this process over the past nine years. And so um, we made videos of what we consider best practices. We're constantly updating those. And so they've led workshops in Bamako for um, individuals and groups who are interested in doing this kind of work in neighboring West African countries. And we've put all of that up online. Um, and eventually my field work notes and everything will go up there so that people can maybe see things in a different way than I did and, you know, add to knowledge, add to multiple voices, um, which is one of the reasons why going digital is helpful, too, because um, it can be in multiple languages. The website is in French and in English and hopefully soon in in more languages. Also, Dean helped uh, with the Google Translate that it can translate into other languages for the moment. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll add more archives over time. I think the one thing that's still an issue is right to privacy. So the photographers in Mali, like here, are, have the copyright over the negatives, so they own the negatives and the rights over them. But a lot of these are commissioned images, and the families 60 years ago weren't intending for these to be publicly available online or exhibited in, in a... Um, gallery. So for individuals who might not be comfortable with that, um, we we have contact information and they can let us know and then we'll pull it from mm-hmm. from the site. It, we can't pull it from the archive and the work that we've done, but we can make it not uh, internationally accessible. Right. So uh, I really like the emphasis on listening and transparency. I mean, what you're talking really about is building trust by being candid. And, and so, so Dean, in, in you, you, you do that not only in this project, but in, in a, a wide variety of, of kinds of projects. Well, and that's, a, a, for us, the most important part of this project is um, not only Candice, I think, is the heart of the project and really makes it work, but um, we really like to stress the ethics, especially when we work in Africa. Um, it's important to have long stable relationships, the idea that often people will get a grant, go in, do the work, and then pull out, and there's no infrastructure there, I think is very problematic. So in almost all of our grants, and this is a a key one, is we try to set up the infrastructure on the ground so actually the work can continue Mm -hmm. after we leave, and they have the expertise, and they have um, the equipment to to keep moving. And, you know, I think it's it's an ethical project, not only in the sense that we try to do the right things. Um, but one of the most exciting parts about this archive is the ways in which it overturns a lot of African stereotypes that mm-hmm. as you go to look at the pictures, you'll see um, people in Vespas or listening to rock and roll, um, kind of this standard 1950s look with bell bottoms and flowered shirts. And so it's kind of overturns those, those traditional stereotypes. And the high quality and artwork of the, of the prints is, is very, very important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the website. So how can our listeners go and uh, view these images? Does that Who has access to these photos right now? Uh, right now it's open on the web to anyone in the world in both French and English. Amazing. And uh, so do you want me to give you the URL? Yeah. Okay, it's amp.matrix.msu.edu. Uh, and there are many ways to search the site. There's a browse, a search function. There's several... Um, filters that one can use. Uh, You can click on the biographies of different photographers and that will take you to their archives. You can 
Um, I know there's a lot of different ways that you can figure out what it is that you want to look at. And I think right now we have several thousand wow. uploaded. It's It takes a lot of work, as you might imagine. Um, so Catherine Foley, the manager of the project here at Matrix, is weekly uploading um, more and more uh, both metadata and images to the archive. So hopefully by the end of the spring, we'll have over 100,000 available. Wow. Um, so you mentioned you both are working on this. You mentioned your manager of the project. It's extremely collaborative. Who else have been? Who else has been involved um, within MSU and beyond? Well, as I mentioned, Catherine Foley, the project manager here at Matrix, and um, there's a project manager in Bamako, the capital city of Mali. That's Yusuf Sakali, who's a son of one of the photographers, oh. Abderman Sakali, um, and it's at his office space that we've set up our our staff. Um, and they're still there, continuing the work right now. Um, we worked with Haida Shoemaker, who's a professional photo conservator, who's out of San Francisco. Alex Nichols, who's a digital photo imaging specialist here at MSU. And then there's several staff in Bamako. There are photographers who represent each family's archive, um, usually their assistants or a family member who was an apprentice to the photographer, so they know the collection best. Um, also, young photographers who graduated from the Center for, um, for Photographic Training in Bamako mm -hmm. are uh, working on the project as a form of capacity building and, and training so that they learn how to conserve and catalog and uh, work in Photoshop. And then English majors at the École Normale Supérieure, um, who are they're training to be English professors. They work on the translation from French to English. And then um, students at MSU, French majors, uh, make sure that the English and the French reads appropriately. And then f uh, students who are photography majors here um, adjust the TIFFs, the high-resolution TIFFs, to low-resolution JPEGs. And raw scans don't ac accurately represent the intended aesthetic or the values of the photographer and also the community. So uh, they've been trained to adjust those JPEGs to more accurately represent how the images were intended to look. Um, and then student and professional programmers and designers at Matrix, the Malian Ministry of Culture and the Maison Africaine de la Photographie, with, uh, headed by Musa Konate, have uh, contributed to the project. The U.S. Embassy in Mali, particularly the Public Affairs Office, and a gentleman named Stephen Kachuba have been very helpful. The National Museum in Mali, Samuel Sidibe, the director, um, helped us uh, install our exhibition in May when we launched the project in Mali. And then the MSU Museum, headed currently by Mark Auslander and his team, have been very helpful, too. Amazing. It's amazing <laughs> to see the kind of levels of collaboration, yeah. both internationally and uh, here on campus. And also to see the collaboration across disciplines mm -hmm. that you that you have with, with uh, language uh, speakers and learners and uh, designers, artists, um, art historians, obviously. And then to see the, the both the kind of technical side of it that skill, the skill development, but also the, the um, you know, larger questions of how we're using those skills in ethical ways to nurture the kind of this broader community, both around these images and also um, 
between one another as we do these projects is really pretty pretty exciting. Thank you. What what are the what, what are some of the things that you are learning um, from the images themselves about the culture there? Are there are there some things that that you can in, talk about in that in that context? That's a big question. That's a big question. <laughs> yes, I know. I didn't mean to just drop it on you, but I mean, as as Dean said, definitely um, you'll see a lot of diversity. Uh, there are images taken in rural areas and urban settings. They capture uh, political uh, dignitary visits, important moments in time during colonialism, d- after independence, during democracy, and so on. Um, voting practices, horse racing, all sorts of sporting events, <laughs> um, youth uh, festivals and national festivals. So it's quite diverse and over several generations. So also you can see trends and transitions and you can see that there's a global uh, engagement, you know, yeah. that Westerners, because of places like National Geographic and news media, tend to have an idea that Africans are remote or that they're uh, poor or that they're suffering, as, as opposed to the joie de vivre mm. that you see <laughs> in these photos and how very engaged and aware. Um, you know, when I first started doing research in 2002 and I showed up and um, where, where I was meeting different people and they found out that I was from San Diego and at the time there was a big fire oh. and they said, oh my goodness, how is your house? Are you okay? You know, they knew very much and I was like, wow, people don't even know where Molly is where, you know, in here. And so it, it helps to break down those stereotypes, I think. And one of the things I'm looking forward to is spending time with this huge resource, um, you know, we sure we've processed a lot of images, but I haven't gotten to go through mm. all of them thoroughly, and that's what I'm hoping the next phase will be. And I'm sure that it will inform research projects and questions, and you know, the work that comes out of this moving forward. We have an exhibition project that we're hoping mm-hmm. to do in 2022. My goodness, is that well? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and so you know searching through i'm sure in a couple years i'll be able to better answer absolutely (laughs) and actually that brings me i mean so so dean is it i mean it seems to me that the a a lot of what digital a lot of the kind of cultural digital humanities work that's happening right now and has happened i mean obviously matrix is one of the was has been one of the earliest one of the first of, of these kinds of centers to do this work um but a lot of the work is the creating of archives that will then generate scholarship uh, over a long period of time. Is that the kind of uh, one of the ways to think about that? Yeah, I, almost uh, all of our collections we've had online for a long time. Um, one of the things that we do is we build everything on the same open source platform. That way, when we get a new project, we can update that platform and then um, move up all of our projects forward. We've had uh, the Quilt Index. Um, which is one of the largest collection of quilts online since almost the turn of the century. Um, and it, again, one of the things that we always try to emphasize is diversity and inclusion in our, our, our different projects that we do over time. Excellent. And uh, you, you've been to Mali like numerous times, and how are you seeing this affecting that community? Are they learning about their own culture again, or what? Just what's the reaction from them in doing this work? Even the people that are doing uh, working in the offices. Yeah, it's, it's a very good question. In fact, Kirk Mason, um, a videographer for the College of Arts We're and big Letters, fans of Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> I do. He's a former student. He um, he's made a video, and so you'll see in that video uh, some responses 
for both from photographers who have worked on this project and also um, other uh, people who attended the exhibition for the launch in May. And by and large, it's several things. One is thinking about cultural heritage and photography as a form of cultural heritage. Um, so protecting protecting it in ways in which uh, one can um, learn from the past and, and, and uh, try to conserve conserve that. Um, and the young people say that they're learning a lot about the past through these images, things that they didn't know, photographic practices, things about their grandparents and their parents, um, the way things were before they were born. Um, young young uh, scholars, journalists, um, students have gone to the Maison Africaine de la Photographie already trying to access these images because they want to study them. They want to use them in, in education in the high schools, too. Um, so there's been a lot of uh, interest in them. And um, as I said, the group that the sort of the, the staff in Bamako that's been working with us, they're interested too in holding workshops to train others to do this sort of work. And because of um, the workshops that they have already done, there are more and more people contacting them to to lead those. And they want to perpetuate the project too by working with us to get additional funding, which we just applied for a mm. U.S. ambassador's fund. Um, we should huge, talk a little about funding. Huge grant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> how, did, how, did we failed the first time we tried this grant? Three, right? really? The third time is when we got yeah. the NEH. It took three times and it took two times for the British Library. Yeah, I think that's one thing people don't understand is uh, the importance of failure. That a lot of times people will submit a grant, it doesn't go through, and oh, my project's not going to get funded. But oftentimes we um, will submit things two, three, four times before they get funded. Yeah, and it just hones it. You know, it's part of the process. It, it doesn't mean that it's a failure. It just means it's part of the learning mm -hmm. process and you can improve upon it. And mm -hmm. um, and then it pays off in the end, fortunately. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, I think that's, that's it, you know, we've talked a lot about that and we've said that for a long time. But it also, um, you know, the, the, the being present in the failure and learning how, learning what the failure is teaching you about yourself and about your project and what you have to hear. Because often it's, I mean, it's a failure in the, so in the sense you didn't get the grant, but you also get a lot of feedback. And often that feedback is what makes the next attempt better. Yeah, and if you look at it as a long-term project, so it's a process as opposed to that is a moment, but it's not the end, right. you know, that it's continuing. So for me, I don't really look at it as a failure. I look at it as part of a, a long process, and you just keep trying to improve. Yeah, we hope to uh, continue this project for a long time and expand it with more artists and more photographers. Photographs. Yeah, yeah. We already this year we're going to add Felix Giallo, another archive. Uh, he has a small one, eight eight hundred and sixty. But he's an interesting photographer because he was trained by the White Father missionaries in Kita and worked in the nineteen forties um, through the nineteen eighties. And so he he even has glass plate negatives that we worked with uh, in his case. And then, um, as I was mentioning, we applied for the U.S. Ambassadors Fund for Cultural Preservation, which is another huge, it would be a five-year grant. And then we're going to apply for a Crest Fellowship, uh, which is due in April. And um, as I mentioned, also, we have plans for the exhibition in 2022 here in the U.S., in France, and in Mali. Wow. Yeah, it, I think it's so important that the relationships that you've created during this pro project and the trust that you've built up during this pro project is 
the ground for the next phases. And that and, and growing out of that trust, you know, expands more trusting relationships that can do, you know, this kind of work at a at a larger scale. But it really comes down to the the kernel of um, the trust that you've built over over the time you've been working on this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also that it's a code generative project so that it wasn't something where I had an idea and came in and said I think we should do this but it was listening to people say what it was that they needed and then working together so that we're all invested and it's a mutually beneficial project right um, so last I remember these images were on display at the MSU, MSU Museum is that still true? yes it is through October 2018 amazing yes it's a wonderful exhibit. You should try to get over and see it. Yes, everyone should try and get over and see it. And then uh, we just want to mention one last thing. Um, Candace's research will be the feature of MSU and MSU Today this week. So if you're looking to learn more, you can head over to MSU Today on February 7th, 7th or 8th. 7th or 8th. <laughs> <laughs> this is being recorded on February 5th for everyone wondering. Um, so, yeah, we're really excited to learn more about the research and uh, see that video that Kirk Mason Yes, it's fantastic. He, he does great work. Yay. Well, thank you so much for joining us and talking about your research. It's so incredible, and this, like, global collaboration is really important and, and uh, beneficial to everyone, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for thank you. inviting us. Um, a big thank you to everyone involved with this podcast, including our technical producer, Daniel Trago, and our marketing director and producer, Ryan Kilcoin. And of course, you can access all of Michigan State University's College of Arts and Letters Liberal Arts Endeavor podcast, season one in our current season two at cal.msu.edu slash about slash podcast. And finally, the ideas and opinions expressed on this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any official entities of Michigan State University. Be sure to tune in to our next podcast and look out for us in your social media news feeds. Thanks for listening and go green. Go Go white. white. Yay!